God uses like-minded Christians to grow one another in spite of our brokenness, okay? Uh, and again, it's not a secret. We've talked about this a couple times. You are broken and messy. I am broken and messy. And so a lot of times what we do is we say, well, I'm going to stay away from small group. I'm going to stay away from getting engaged with other Christians because, and I love this, because I've got issues. It's like, so, so I'm, I'm not going to go to a place where I might actually be challenged to grow because it's like me saying I'm not going to the gym because I'm not physically fit. But then how do I ever expect to get physically fit? I, I'm still not joining a gym. But that's not why. I did sign up for the whole spiritual, physical health thing. So that there, I've got that going for me. Okay? But, but it, it's, like, it's like, well, I'm not going to go there because I can't get fit. But yet, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But this is what happens. And so we, we drilled down on this last week. And we saw in the book of Acts, the early church, our early Christians, uh, picking up in Acts 2, we saw that, that God uses small groups of people. And you can call them whatever you want. You can call them um, small groups. You can call them growth groups. You can call them accountability groups. You can call them Bible studies. I don't care what you call them. But he uses small groups of people to challenge one another, to stretch one another, to grow one another into people that are more like Jesus Christ. That's the whole goal here, is to be challenged, um, to grow, to be more and more like Jesus. And the reason, I'm going to tell you this, this is just kind of a thing here. One of the reasons that we're, that we're focusing so hard on small groups, and you're like, okay, I get it. Small groups are important. Can we stop now? No. Because this meets a couple of our core values. Uh, I know you all have our core values memorized. Okay. Um, I know you do. So it's okay. You knew these already. I didn't even have to put them up there, but it meets a couple of our core values. These are things that we say are critical when it comes to people growing and people learning and what the church is about, okay? One is relationships. Everybody's valuable and everybody needs grace. Everybody needs grace because nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, but everyone has value. And so relationships are, are a core value at the church. And the other is discipleship. And it's simply this, saved people grow. Okay? That's not me being judgy. That's not me being nitpicky. That's me telling you what scripture clearly lays out. If you are, in fact, a Christian, okay, and you are, in fact, a Christian, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and submit to Jesus Christ, if you are, in fact, a Christian, then this is a reality. You will grow to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like your old self. You won't get there overnight, but it'll happen. Okay, so those are core understandings of who we are as a church. Small groups is going to play into both of those. That's why it's so important. And so as we continue today, we're going to take a look at um, the question of how do we act in a small group? What does it look like when we're in uh, a small group? And there's really two ways that this can go. On one hand, we would say to ourselves, well, it's going to be awesome all the time, right? Because you've got a group of people who are all Christians who are all like-minded, and they're going to get together, and they're going to just, they're going to, by the way, small group, if you're thinking, oh, I'd love to do small group, but church people are boring. Hey, we are not boring. We laugh a lot. We have a lot of fun. 
right? And you're like, oh, you know what? But we're like-minded people. We get together. We have a good time. And you're thinking it should always be great. The problem is um, that no matter what happens, we're still a group of broken, sinning people. We're trying hard, and we want to grow, but we're broken. And so today, as we look at Scripture, we're going to see how God calls us, when we're with other Christians, to work with each other, to deal with each other, why he's blessed us in the first place. We're going to really navigate what this is about, but I want you to understand this. I know right off the bat where some of your objections come from. I get it, okay? So I want to acknowledge it, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put it right in the middle of the room, and we're going to deal with it today because it can't be a legitimate objection for you. But here's the objection from some of you is, but Matt, I've been burned too many times. When it comes to relationships, I've been burned too many times. I've been stabbed in the back. I've been lied about. I've been mistreated. I don't want to do it anymore. It's not worth the risk. Yes, some relationships might be okay, but not these. I don't want to do it. I don't want to try it. I don't want to risk it because it doesn't work for me. And I'm going to say, I get it. I understand that. Okay. Um, when I was at Bethany, uh, Bethany, I was uh, chairman of the elder board for a long time when I was at Bethany, uh, back in the Quad Cities, and uh, I remember having counseling uh, with an individual, it's actually was taking the elder training class, uh, and he came and, and he, he participated in the class. It was about eight weeks worth of this conversation about what an elder is and looking at scripture and reading some outside sources, what does God call us to as elders, well, how do you know if you're called to be, and all, all of that that was in play. And I remember having this conversation with him that he just didn't think that he would ever be able to serve in that capacity. And the reason he didn't think he'd ever be able to serve in that capacity is because he'd been burned. 20 years ago, this is no joke, I mean, I'm having this conversation with him as he sits across from me. Um, 20 years ago, he'd been burned in a church relationship. He'd been, I wouldn't say lied about necessarily, but, but he'd been lied around. You know, facts had been twisted in his mind and things had been bad and, and he just wasn't sure that God could ever use him in that way or that he would submit to God using him in that way because he'd been burned before. And some of those people were still in the church and he just didn't think that he could be a part of that. I'm going to tell you that, that for him, that was a daily struggle. You've heard that, that adage, right? It's like every day he decided to drink poison and wait for the other guy to die. It didn't work, but it wasted his ministry. I wish I could tell you I'm going to come back later and tell you how one day he got over it. As far as I know, he's still struggling with that. And it... Frankly, it's ruined his ministry. It's ruined his ability to, to grow in relationships with other people. So now he's got relationships with people in church. He knows their name. He says good morning. He greets them every Sunday. He stands at the door. You know why it's his job to stand at the door every Sunday morning? Because then he doesn't have to have long conversations with anybody. So that's the job he craves, is I will stand at the door and I will open the door and I will shake your hand and I will say good morning and you will go and we will be done until next week. 
It's ruined his ministry and his effectiveness. And now for the 20 years since, 28 now, he's not been able to dig in to the church. Listen to me. I get it. You've been burned. But God has things to say about how we work together as Christians and how we navigate this as Christians. And that is not it. Let's take, let's take a look at what we see here. We're in 1 Peter. Okay, we're going to look at two verses. Verse 3, and or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 9. And we're going to read a lot about what God has to say through the Apostle Peter for us in this context. So here's what he says. He says, finally, all of you, and I want to stop there for a second. Okay, look, I made it four words this time. Finally, all of you, before I have to stop and tell you something. It's pretty good, okay? Um, All of you in this context, you'd have to go back and read. All of you in this context is referring to all of the Christians, okay? The reason we know that is because in in, in 1 Peter Okay, in chapter uh, 2 and then into 3 here, uh, what Peter is doing is he's instructing Christians how they are to relate with different kinds of people. So he starts with talking uh, in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. He talks about how Christians should relate to those in governmental authority over us. Okay, and we actually talked about that a few weeks back in our, our series on the Bible and politics, but that's what he starts with. Okay, and, and then he moves on from there in 18 to 25, and he talks about how Christians, how servants relate to masters, and that was a common theme in that time of the world. Okay, so it's this context of how servants relate to masters, uh, and then we get to chapter 3, 1 through 6, talks about how Christian wives should relate to with, um, with understanding and, and all of that with unbelieving husbands. I mean, it's a specific context there. He's talking about wives and husbands who don't believe and how wives should try to interact with their husbands that don't believe. Um, In verse 7, we talk about how husbands should interact with compassion and love with their wives. And then finally, we get here to 1 Peter 3.8, and the topic hasn't shifted. It hasn't switched. He's still talking about how Christians relate to other people, but here's what he says. Finally, all of you, not you that are under authority, not you that are servants, not you that are wives of unbelieving husbands, not you that are husbands, but finally he says, all of you, that is all Christians now, this is for you, okay? This is for us, okay? All Christians, this is it. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. Well, that's easy. No problem, right? Raise your hand if you're nailing it. Like, psst, don't raise your hand. Don't do it. Right? No, of course not. But this is what he says. He says, finally, all of you, okay, you know, we've gone through all the specific instructions and all the stuff. So now Christians, in context of other Christians, now you, this is how you related to the government. This is how you related um, you know, to your masters. This is how you related to your unbelieving husbands. This is how you related to your wives. Now, this is how you relate to one another inside the church with other Christians. When it comes to this, just do these five things and everything will be great. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. And you're sitting there and you're like, it's no problem. I got it. Except that's hard. Right? It's hard. You know why it's hard? Listen to me. 
It's hard because people are messy. And it's hard because people are gross sometimes. And it's hard because I'm messy. And I'm gross. And so I'm asking you, I'm like, hey, when it comes to me, I'm messy, I'm gross, I'm kind of disgusting, I'm goofy, right? I'm weird. For a lot of you, I'm an extra grace required person, okay? You need extra grace to be able to deal with me on a regular basis. I get it, okay? And I'm saying to you, when it comes to me, another Christian, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love me, be compassionate, right? And be humble, and I've got to do the same thing. And so not only that, not only is it hard because the person I'm trying to do these things to is broken, oh, it's even worse because I'm broken, right? And so I naturally don't have the capacity for those things. And so Peter is writing this and he's like, hey, just go be this person. And it's hard. This is why, listen to me, This is why we encourage you to be part of a small group. Because on your own, you're going to really struggle to grow past these things. But in a group of people, the challenge is going to be there. And when everybody else is talking and moving and sharing and growing, there's no guarantee that you will, but you're going to have to actively swim against stream to not. That's part of how this works. I can tell you, Carrie and I, this is, this is, for us, that's how it happened. Carrie kind of mentioned that when she was sharing testimony, but, but I don't know if you know this or not. You can, tell you what, pretend to be shocked in a second. We are selfish people. Right? Right? We're selfish people. We want what we want. We like to do things our way. We like to have it um, the way that we do. And, and, and in small groups is where we learned to grow. Now, granted, I don't be like, hey, we're so awesome. Because, I mean, it was a really slow thing, right? Slower than it should have been. And Carrie's kind of nailing it, and I'm still trying to figure it out, okay? But this is, this is part of the process. This is how it works. We're challenged to grow, Okay? And in small groups, see, small groups are so important because small groups are where you learn to think about other people first. Families work this way too. This is what happens with your kids. If you've got multiple kids at home or even just one, this is something that you spend all your time trying to teach them, right? You try to teach them. You try to raise them up in this idea that you think of other people before you think of yourself, that, you, that you're concerned with other people, that you are gracious with other people. That you, that's what we do in small groups. Okay? And I can tell you that, that it's hard, but there's value in that. And it's how you grow. And I want to challenge you that, that if, if you struggle with some of these things, and I think you do, because I know I do, then, then I want to challenge you that maybe small group is a place to go. But, you know, the issue of arrogance. Oh, man, I'm arrogant. Pride. I'm a prideful guy. I mean, I just, I I am those things. But I I don't get to just say, well, those are, that's who I am. That's my nature. It's good enough. But God says, no, 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 no. In context of other Christians, this is what you do. You be like-minded. You be sympathetic. You love one another. You be compassionate. 
and you be humble. And I just can't flip a switch and make that work. And I'm willing to bet that neither can you. These are things that we have to grow in. Uh, it's, it's part of how we have to do it. And so I can tell you that we had tremendous success um, personally in small group growing in that way. And, and I'm not done growing in that way. I need my Christian relationships to help me continue to do that. Because, oh, here's the other thing. When you stop growing in that, you don't just put it in park and stay still. But you're always moving. You're always moving. See, I might be able to make some progress in being more and more like Christ, but if I ever get to a point where I think I can put it in park and sit still, what's going to happen? I'm going to drift. And it doesn't work. I've got to keep pushing forward. And that's this is what Paul's talking, or Peter's talking about here. He's like, finally, this is what you do. Be this kind of person. And by the way, that kind of person rocks. Think of that. You've got in your brain, if you stop and think, you've got a couple of people that you think fit that bill. People that, that kind of are like this. People that are, are like-minded. People that are sympathetic. They love each other. They're compassionate and they're humble. And you think about that. Those are people you want to be around. Those are people you crave to be around. Those are people you want to surround yourself with because those are people that love you and encourage you and help you grow. And Peter says, look, when you are a Christian, this is the kind of person you're supposed to be. And you say it's hard. Well, of course it is. Of course it's hard. Who said it was going to be easy? What we've said about everything in Scripture is it's easy to understand, it's hard to do daily. And this is another one of those things. I get it. I understand that this is the kind of person I'm supposed to be. But pulling it off in my everyday life is harder than that. But it's worth it. It's worth it because otherwise you get stuck. And some of you are stuck. You've told me as much. I mean, I, that you're stuck. Bethany alluded to that last week in, her, in, in the testimony, that sometimes we get stuck. And when we're stuck... It's pointless. It's exhausting. It feels bad when we're stuck. But if you're tired of being stuck, then it's time to lean in and push forward. But that requires movement. We need to grow in these things. And so let's look at these things a little bit here. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, I'm going I'm to tell you this. I, I'm sorry. There's something really, really, really cool that happens when you lean in. When you start to grow... When you start to challenge yourself, this was true for Carrie and I. I mean, I, I, can, I can't tell you like, oh, this is the exact day it happened. But if I look at our lives now and I look at our lives then, there's something so radical that happens in your Christian faith. And you know what? When you get tired and you get exhausted and you get bored and you're, you're not sure if it's worth it, it's because you're constantly asking the question, why? Why does God do this? Why does God say this? Why does God allow this? Why does God make this happen? Why, 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 why? And when I ask the question why, really what I'm doing is I'm challenging authority. I'm saying, who is God that he gets to say it this way? Who is God that this is the way that it should be? Why in the world does God get to make these kinds of rules and things? And I'm always asking the question why. And we were always asking the question why, why, why? Why do people have to go to hell? That sounds so ridiculous. Why is this kind of lifestyle not acceptable to God? 
Why in the world am I supposed to love my enemy and forgive people that hurt me? Why would anybody, do, I mean, why? We're always asking why. But what happens when you start to grow in context of other Christian relationships, when, when you start to be like-minded, and when you start to be generous, and when you start to be humble, and when you start to love people with this brotherly, compassionate kind of love, what happens is the question will shift from why to how. How doesn't question authority. How asks for help. Think about it as a parent. Think about it as a parent. When your kids come to you and they ask you, why? Clean your room. Why? You know, you need to sit down and do your math homework. Why? Math homework is stupid. I hate math homework. I always hated math homework. It's a sore spot for me. I still don't use geometry, and I don't know what algebra is doing for my life right now. But hey, you kids study hard. I feel like I should apologize to Megan. She teaches math. <laughs> I once had a, uh, a t-shirt that I really wanted to buy that said, Dear Algebra, stop asking us to find your ex. She's gone and she's not coming back. <laughs> I should have bought it. Anyway, here's the deal. I don't even know where we were at. <laughs> but but here's, here's what happens, right? We stop asking why and we ask how. When our kids ask why, 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 it gets frustrating. When they ask how, it signals a shift. The shift is, okay, I'm willing, but I need more. I need to know more. I need to figure out how to get it done. I need to figure out what I'm supposed to do to make this work. When I stop asking why do I have to forgive people that have stabbed me in the back, why do I have to forgive people that have intentionally hurt me? Why do I have to love people that I just don't like? Why do I spend time with, when I do those things, when I ask why, I'm challenging God, but when I say, God, how? I know I need to. I know I'm supposed to, and I want to, but how? It's a different question. You get that, right? There's a shift. That happens when we grow and we grow best in relationships because there are people there that can tell you the truth. There are people there that can encourage you. There are people there that can remind you. And frankly, there are people there that can correct you when it's necessary. Growth happens in relationships because we need to grow in these characteristics that Peter gives us. He says, be these, these things, be this way, so we can move from why to how. Okay, so let's look at these real quickly. We're just gonna, we're gonna break this down. Uh, this won't take us very long, but this is the kind of people we're supposed to be. He says, be this kind of people, okay? Well, one, we be like-minded, okay? We think harmoniously. That's what that means, okay? Um, like-minded means harmonious, so think that way. And, and like-minded does not mean you're gonna agree with everything everybody says or does. It doesn't mean you're gonna agree with every decision they make. It doesn't mean you're gonna see things exactly the way they see it. What it means, though, is that you are going to have the same end goal in mind. The elders are a perfect example of that. You know, when the elders of the church get together, we don't always see things the same way. We don't all have the same giftedness. We don't all process things similarly. We sometimes have different opinions on the way we're supposed to pull things off. But you know what? We're like-minded. We're like-minded because we all know where we're going, and that is to glorify and honor the God of the universe. 
and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we may not always see, you're not going to be in a small group of people that will think exactly like you. That's not what like-minded means. But like-minded means that you'll have the same base. Okay? Get that. So we grow in like-mindedness. We do that by being around the right people. Some of you, I'm going to say, I want you to be in small group, but hear what I'm saying. Some of you, more than you need to be in small group, you need to stop being around other people. I mean, you just need to choose better. That doesn't mean that you don't spend time with people outside of the church, but hear me. Stop kidding yourself. I lied to myself for so many years about this very fact. I would say things like, well, you know, how are they going to know the gospel if I don't hang out with them? So by, I mean, it just sounds so stupid to say it out loud. I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, But by being around me, just my presence, (laughs) my aura, if you will, just by being around me, they will come to me. (laughs) And I will say, now that I've engaged in your sinful lifestyle for three years, let me tell you about Jesus who changed my life. <laughs> Don't do that. Think about this. If I was standing on this chair, is it easier for me to pull you up or for you to pull me down? It's, I get being around people that aren't Christians. They are our mission field. Okay? But if you're spending all of your time with people that are not like-minded, you can't be surprised when you struggle to be like-minded with other believers. So I challenge you there. Okay? Uh, Sympathetic. We talk about being sympathetic. Um, Sympathetic happens in small groups. You can do that anytime. Um, But but small groups is a place where that happens. I can tell you this. uh, When you're acting sympathetically, by the way, Um, you act not because you have to, but because you want to. And when you're being sympathetic, you never have to say to somebody, hey, look, I know how you feel. Because one, I probably don't know how they feel, and two, it's not helpful. But sympathetic people act. This is about action. This is time-intensive, and it's presence-intensive. And some of you, you know, we've talked about this in the church before. You know, the elders talk about this too. It's like, you know, the, the church felt more uh, tight-knit when there were half of you here, right? I mean, when, when instead of 160 or 180 people here, there were 80 or 90 people here. Well, the church felt more like this, right? Like everybody knew about everybody else. It's this living room kind of a feel. Like it's all so intimate and connected. The problem is that if at our core is sharing the gospel, then people will come. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But now, all of a sudden, I'm like Jess Rich, who's looking over here and saying, well, Haley looks nice. You know, I'll say hi to her, but I'm not necessarily going to be able to get connected the same way I would because we've, we've grown past that. But listen, small groups is where that happens. Small groups is where we build those relationships. Small groups is where, I mean, they can happen outside of that too, for sure. But if you're looking for those connections, if you're wondering, you know, I'm coming to church every Sunday, but where is my connection? Get plugged in to a group of people. Loving one another. Men, stay with me. Yes, I want you to love other people. Not that aren't your wife, okay? 
But I want you to love them and think, think this, the word there really is brotherly. It's that word for brotherly love. Okay, there are three kinds of love talked about in the New Testament, three Greek words. This is the word for brotherly kind of love. This is connection. This is family. That's that word. This is the word for family. Amongst Christians, you love each other with this brotherly kind of love. That's what this is. This is somebody sending out an email saying, hey, somebody in an emergency needs help moving this afternoon and having enough people that we had to turn some away because there wasn't enough work. Listen, that's the brotherly kind of love. That's what that is, okay? And that comes when we grow in these things and compassion, compassion. Listen, one of the ways that you grow is by spending yourself on behalf of another person. You know what that's like? That's Christ-like. Christ spent himself entirely. He poured himself completely out for us, for me, for you, so that we could be uh, made new, that we could be saved, that we could grow, that we could have changed lives, okay? And we're all trying to grow in this, and that's part of what we do. Compassion is pouring yourself out for someone else. And here's the deal. Think about this, okay? When you do that, it's not because you have to. See, some of you have to break that mindset of, I have to, to I crave it. That's, that's the way this works. We have to grow past this. Well, there are things that a Christian is supposed to do, so fine. I guess I will do this, and I guess I will do that. And I, but no, compassion says when, when there is a need, that it is my desire, not because I need to and I, I, I have to and I'm supposed to check it off my list, but because I love that person and I want to step out for that person and I want to do for that person. And then, see, what's cool about that is what seems natural to you then is just doing it the way God said. You're growing, you're growing in your faith so much that when you just do, you're just being who God called you to be. Christy Lutz and Dan Lutz were in the hospital um, with Emma, actually last Sunday, a week ago. They had to take Emma to the hospital, okay? Um, and she had some, some, she's great, by the way. Uh, Mike was telling me she's, uh, she went home midweek and she's doing great. She's healthy. Everything is good. But it was scary there for a while, okay? But when you're compassionate, you just are always on the move for people, not because you have to, but because you want to. And so um, our small group has been, I'm sure, driving Christy nuts with requests for updates. Christy, how can we be praying? How, I mean, she's just like, Emma's fine, leave me alone. <laughs> but everybody is coming around because they want to, not because they have to. I called Mark that morning. I'm like, Mark, you know what? Monday morning, we should go to the hospital. He's like, yeah, I'm waiting for you. What's taking you so long? listen, this is where we grow together. This is important. And finally, humble. And again, this is, this is a matter of actually being humble, not just acting humble. You know, Peter's not interested in hypocrites here. He wants you to be humble. And this is why this is key. Check this out. This is why this is important. Here's what humility looks like. Okay? These people, humble people, are utterly dependent on God for life and breath and intelligence and emotional stability, and faith, and safety, and the use of our faculties, and literally everything. When you are humble, you understand that everything you are about is because God allows it, and because God wants it for you. When you 
You are dependent on God for everything. Listen, when you are humble, you understand that you are utterly fragile and vulnerable if you were all by yourself. Now, you're not fragile and vulnerable. You know why? Because you're not by yourself. Here's the other thing. These people, they feel sinful and unworthy as they view themselves apart from the free grace of God. Now, listen to me. Please don't, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not suggesting that you should feel sinful and unworthy. You shouldn't feel sinful and unworthy. But when you view yourself apart from the free gift of God's grace, you should feel sinful and unworthy. And these people understand. See, what I'm saying to you is that when you are humble, you understand that you are no better than anybody else. That's what this is all about. Humble people understand that they are no better than anybody else. It is simply by God's grace that I am who I am and that I am no longer guilty of these things. It is only by God's grace. And that grace makes them, get this word, I love this word, wonderstruck. By the way, it's John Piper here. Um, Not me, John Piper. Wonderstruck that they are loved. Get that. Not pushy, snippy, arrogant, or over-assertive, or self-assertive. They aren't people that stand up and demand their own way, but when you get them in a group, they're people that understand that they are saved simply by God's grace, and they are wonderstruck by it. And it feeds into how they interact with everybody else, which is why Peter can say what happens next. In um, 3.9, you can track it here. He says, but do not repay evil with evil. See, this is how he's going here. Don't repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but on the contrary... Repay evil with blessing. Why? Because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And so there's this circular reasoning. By the way, this isn't a separate thought. This is a so what. If you're going to be like-minded and compassionate and sympathetic and humble, and you're going to love with a brotherly kind of a love, then this is necessarily how you'll respond. You will not repay evil with evil, but instead in humility, knowing that you are no better than anybody else, except that you have... God's grace imparted to you in this situation. You're not pushy. You're not arrogant. You are totally reliant on God's grace. Then here's the deal. You'll understand that I don't need to repay your evil with evil. This is something that I wish this gentleman from Bethany would have figured out a long, long time ago because he is so intent on being right and being justified and people knowing that he was wronged What he's done is he's spent 28 years now repaying evil with evil. And then he wonders, where are my relationships? Where's my joy? Where's my gladness? Where's my movement? Where's my passion? Where did it all go? You say, this is, this is the deal. God says, Inside, in this context. And, and, and this, this is hard teaching because this is, with, this is Christians. These are people that I've trusted. These are people that I've relied on. These are people that have relied on me. These are people that I have this strong connection with. That's the context here. This isn't saying, hey, when those people outside of the church do evil, you bless them. This is saying in the church, 
When somebody at Blessed Hope, see, I'm going to say it's even hard to say because I hope it won't happen. But when somebody at Blessed Hope does evil or hurts you or wrongs you, God is so ridiculously clear. Do not act in kind. You don't repay evil with evil. But you know what you do? You replay evil with blessing. You know why you repay evil with blessing? Because that's why you were blessed in the first place. That's what he says here, right? It's this cyclical thing. Take a look at, in theory, what's next. Judah, give me one. Oh, keep going. One more. Okay, it's this. Um, you were blessed by God so that you can be a blessing from God, which, you know, here's the cool thing, right? Get this. Like, so God blesses me, so therefore my job is to be a blessing. But because I just do my job of being a blessing, God gives me more blessing, right? That's what happens. That's how this works. God blesses, I give it back to people, and then God pours more out on me. I think about, I think about Dick and God has blessed him, but he's refrained from pouring it out. And now he's sitting there and he's questioning, where's my blessing? Well, this verse tells us, this scripture tells us that when you bless those that curse you, when you lean in instead of withdraw, when you push forward, that's when God comes down with even more blessings. This is, again, simple stuff to understand. It's just not always easy to pull off. But this is what we do. So, so why? You know, why, why do we risk it when we've been burned? Because it's worth it. Because God's worth it. And so we get to the point today where we, we ask the question, okay, we're going we're gonna to go right here, where we say, so what? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay, Valerie's going to come and she's going to play a little bit for us. And I'm just going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to reflect and I'm going to ask you to respond. Okay, and here, here's, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to be praying about, you know, how might God be leading you, whether it's for a small group, whether it's to get plugged in, and some of you are like, you, you know, um, you're just not sure yet. I want you to pray about whether or not that's something God wants to challenge you. But some of you, some of you need to get off this roller coaster. Some of you have been too busy repaying evil with evil. Okay? And that's not to say that, that you weren't wronged and you weren't burned, but it's time to, instead of withdrawing, it's time to lean into God. I want you to pray about that too. I want you to ask God for that. And then ultimately, I want you to respond. Um, if there's something you need to do, we're going to collect the offering in, in just a couple of minutes. Um, and part of that is we'll collect those tear-off cards too. So if there's a group you want to register for, this is a time to go ahead and write that down. This is a group I want to be in. Um, you can talk to Malia. Um, or myself at the small group table after the service and get some more information there. But here's the other thing, okay? If there's some other decision that you need to make, write that on there too, right? Just write that on there. If you, if you need to forgive somebody or you need to, oh my goodness, this goes past forgiving. Maybe you just need to bless somebody, even if they don't deserve it. You need to write that decision down too. You know, maybe, maybe it's time for you and you're just saying, you know what? I just need to lean into God. You can write that. Whatever it is, however God is laying on your heart to respond to him this morning. Write that down. 
I want you to drop it in the offering plate as it goes by. But we're going to spend just a couple of minutes in quiet prayer and reflection as Valerie plays for us. As the ushers continue to collect that, I just I want to challenge you. There's always a next step. I mean, there's never not a next step, okay? Um, sometimes it's more clear than others for you, for individuals, and it's, it, it rarely is the same for everybody, okay? But there's always a next step. There's always a place to go next. There's always the thing that we're challenged to. And so for some of you, um, it's small group. For some of you, it's forgiveness. For some of you, it's just, I need to submit to the God of the universe. I need to be this kind of person. Okay, I, I don't know exactly what it is for you, but here's my challenge for you. It's really hard to say, God, tell me something. And then when God tells you something, for you to not do it. Um, I was having this conversation with, with somebody earlier this week, as a matter of fact, this idea of, you know what, when God convicts you, if you actively ignore that conviction, you can't be surprised that things don't go well, maybe, but also you can't be surprised if, if God stops telling you what's next. Prophet Micah talks about that. When the people are like, God, what do you want? What do you want? What's next for us? What's next for our nation? What's next for us as individuals? What's next? What's next? What's next? And God says to the prophet, I already told you. I told you what I want. I want you to, <laughs> I mean, it's, um, Walk humbly with God and to love justice and to seek mercy. And I told you that stuff, and I'm not telling you anything else until you get those things done. As a people, you won't go anywhere until you get those things done. I already told you what I want, and here's my caution for you. When God convicts you with the next step, don't expect there to be anything else until you take that next step. And so I don't know what it is for you this morning. I just know that if, if you're not willing to take it, you can't expect God to keep telling you and telling you and telling you. It's your move. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. I praise you. I thank you for being so clear in your word. And yet at the same time, God, we acknowledge that it's so difficult to live out that we can't do it on our own. We thank you for your guidance in our lives. We thank you for your word, which gives us truth. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, which sustains us and pushes us forward. And God, we thank you for relationships. We thank you for other people that will help us to grow, to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for those things. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for life. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.